Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hey, welcome to another episode. If you're listening, go ahead and go out and subscribe so that you won't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the show, give us a five-star review That way we can move up in the rankings and other people can find the show and be impacted and inspired just like you. Are you a woman of color in tech who feels stuck because you don't see people who look like you? You lack support from someone who truly understands your journey and you want to overcome obstacles that you're facing in the tech industry? If you want to elevate your pay, become a leader at your company, be noticed by colleagues and executives to advance in your career, then Tech Trifecta is for you. It's my private coaching program and is now open. I'm only accepting a limited number of people to the program, so apply today at tlmintl.link forward slash Tech Trifecta. Hey, welcome to episode 190. The topic of this week's episode is From Dismal Workplace to Desired. My guest this week is Dana Vogelmeyer. Dana began Vogelmeyer Consulting to help companies create a workplace where people love to work and will feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Her 33 years of corporate work experience included more than 25 years of leading diverse teams and working for a multitude of leaders. Over the years, she began to examine the differences in the teams she worked in and led. Some were great teams that ran like magic, and other teams seemed to struggle to find harmony. Dana decided to pursue researching what makes this happen, and in 2016, she opened her own company to help others create a place people cannot imagine leaving. She worked with technology firms, school districts, banks, insurance companies, and others. Hi, Dana. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hi, Trina. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that you're here with me because you are you are an expert in a area that is really one of my um, passions, Um, workplace, making sure it's bearable for people, leadership, things like that. But before we dive in, how I always like to start the show is I ask my guests to tell the listeners who you are, and what made you the Dana that you are today? Okay, well, thank you. That's a that's a fun question. So um, Dana Vogelmeyer, I have been an independent consultant for a little more than three years now. Um, and I came into working as an independent consultant, uh, focusing on workplace culture and creating workplaces where people love to work. That's kind of my thing, because everyone goes to work I shouldn't say everyone, most people go to work every day and they um, feel either, you know, excited or looking forward to who they're going to sit with or whatever, maybe looking forward to something during the day. But there are also a lot of people 
who go to work each day and just dread it like the morning drive, or even if you're not commuting now and you're working at home, but just dread it like, Oh, so I really try to focus on what's going on in that workplace where people dread going to work. If they love it. Good. We work 40 or 50 years, sometimes longer in our lifetimes. And I feel like we shouldn't wake up every day dreading it. We should look forward to it and feel fulfilled at the end of the day and feel valued. Um, and like we're making a contribution in some way and not drained, you know? Mm. So I really want to focus on those kinds of workplaces and help those leaders figure out like, what are one or two things maybe that we could tweak and change that would really make a change for people. And I, I came into this after working in the corporate world for um, over 30 years, I worked for a large fortune 50 company and the majority of my experiences, I worked in 14 different departments and the majority of my experiences were really good. And I had good leadership, but I had two times in those 33 years where I really struggled and, um, and dreaded going to work. And I kept thinking like, what is going on here? But when the second one happened and I had already had the first experience, I knew so much more. And I had done some research about employee engagement and high-performing workplaces, and also toxic workplaces. So I knew what was happening. And I could kind of manage myself a little bit better and what I was doing to contribute or to make it better. But the first time I experienced it, it was just like hitting a brick wall, you know, and I struggled and I was drained and I gained weight and I was depressed and I just didn't even look like myself anymore. I just couldn't get excited about my work. And I didn't feel like I had meaning in my work. And I was struggling. So when I finally kind of came out on the other side and got into a new role again in a new department, I loved my my boss and my colleagues and my teams. And you know, then again, I felt like, okay, now I'm now I'm contributing again. So having those emotional ups and downs of my own is what really made me want to help other companies um, make a, a great workplace for their employees. You know, I love, I love that because just like you said, I've had jobs where I dreaded going into work every day. It's, you know, and it's really sad because the majority of people do go to work because they want to do a good job. They want to be happy. And I mean, people, let's just face it. Nobody's got a job going to work because, you know, that's just something they just love to do. You know, we have to pay bills. We have to make, you know, a living, Right. And it's just so unfortunate when you hate going to your job. And nine times out of 10, people who feel that way, the environment and their bosses are making it that way, but either they don't realize it or they're doing it intentionally. So what are you seeing in your work? <laughs> I saw you laugh. I did. Well, and you and I, you know, are not alone. And I mean, we've had similar experiences. We're not alone in this. There's, you know, high um, disengagement rates. And so I always kind of follow the Gallup organization because they do wonderful research and polling on employee engagement. And, and it's always kind of hovering around 30% of the workforce is engaged. So I always think, okay, that means 70% is unengaged or highly disengaged you know, kind of thinking about it as a spectrum, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they might, they might not hate it and they might be satisfied, but they're not highly engaged where they're innovative and uh, problem solvers and, you know, high contributors. 
But then you also on that spectrum have people who are actively disengaged, who are sabotaging the company. They're horrible to the customers. They're horrible to their colleagues. They're, you know, making problems. They're not coming to work. You know, there's a lot of things that they're doing that are contributing negatively to the outcomes. And those are the people that we need to kind of figure out how to work out of the organization, which requires some performance management and all. But there are some people kind of in that middle that you can kind of bring over, you know, and at least get them in a good spot where they're working with you. They might not be the top highest performers, but at least they're steady eddies and they're working mm-hmm. with you as opposed to um, sabotaging the, mm-hmm. the outcomes. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm interested in like the people who you say may be sabotaging. What have you found? Have you found that maybe these people started out as, you know, satisfactory employees, but then something happened along the way to make them that way? Exactly. Yes. And usually it's something that in their minds was unfair. You know, it was a change and it wasn't properly addressed or maybe they weren't selected for an opportunity. I had one one uh, person that I had worked with who was just, oh, just such a, you know, kind of a Debbie Downer, if you will. <laughs> and um, his colleagues didn't really like him. And, and I could see it in team meetings, just the, you know, kind of eye rolls and things like that. And I talked to him because um, I had come in as their leader. And so I, I talked to everybody on the team, you know, and I, I talked to him and I asked him, you know, hey, it kind of feels like maybe you don't really love it. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? And it kind of, you know, like took him by surprise, but I think he knew he was coming off that way. I mean, certainly he knew he was unhappy. So he told me a story of something that had happened, Trina, seven years earlier, Mm. never got over it. And he was carrying that chip on his shoulder for seven years. And I said, you know, I I can understand why you're upset about all of that. I, I get it, you know, but we're not all always selected for every job that we mm-hmm. apply for. So that part in and of itself, that, that happens. You're not going to get everything. You the, the other component of what was that making him so aggravated was that that department um, would, they would call him as the subject matter expert on uh, projects. It was kind of cross-functional work. Mm-hmm. And um, they would ask him all these questions. He's like, but they'll call me and ask me how to do the work, but I wasn't good enough to be hired to come over there and work. Mm. So, you know what I mean? It felt it. So it was one of those things that was never addressed and it just sat with him. Yeah. Dude. So, I mean, that's an example, but a lot, I think a lot of times that what happens with these folks is it's some form of a miscommunication or perceived unfair treatment or a change they didn't like. It's, it's something like that, but never got addressed. Mm-hmm. So it just carries with them for whatever reason. And and I was just wondering that when you were speaking and talking about the situation, I was like, I wonder if there, if anybody ever addressed that with him and sure enough, no. And Mm -hmm. when you go in and you're talking to like the leaders of the organization, do you happen to bring these things up to them so that, you know, they know why, because I don't think most people just say, oh, I got a job and I'm just going to be the disgruntled person. Something happens to get them to that point. Um, and instead of just deeming somebody as a problem employee, look to see what's going on. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They don't, they're not trying to be it. They're not trying to be the problem. Right. 
I think sometimes, you know, when people get so much angst inside, like they can't get out of their own way, Mm -hmm. you know, but to your point, the leader, that's our responsibility as leaders is to work with the team and develop people and make things better than you found them. And if, you know, in that situation where nobody had really worked with him, it was kind of like, they just allowed it, you Mm -hmm. know? And meanwhile, he's walking around with a chip on his shoulder. He's mean in the meetings to the other employees and the other people suffer. Right. And that's not, that's not good. I mean, we want the team performing well, like operating high up, not everybody feeling like, oh, I hope so-and-so doesn't show up today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is how they felt, you know, um, but there, there have been other situations too, where, you know, for whatever reason, people are, are angry. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with work. It just could be things going on outside at home. But when you can talk to them about not prying, not trying to pry, mm-hmm. but you know, how, how you're being perceived mm. and how the, um, like maybe a communication that you said, maybe how other people took it. Mm-hmm. And so if, if somebody can just kind of hold that mirror up and kind of, and show them, like, when you said this, here's what your coworkers heard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, it's, it's that self-awareness yeah. that you really need somebody to, to care enough to help you see it. Yeah. That this doesn't, doesn't always happen. Yeah. I have one, um, leader that I worked with that in, in his particular organization, he was the, like the highest person, but reported to a a board Mm. and um, he wasn't a CEO. It was a different kind of structure. But um, one of the things I shared with him, he had two employees who were majorly disgruntled and were just making others, others life miserable because all day they would kind of bark at each other. Just, you know, this is wrong. That's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. And so everybody's listening to that all day. And it was kind of one of those deals where I hope so-and-so is not at work today. And um, I had come in to do some work to try to figure out what was going on in the environment. And when I shared with him kind of the, you know, what was going on and the perceptions and like, something needs to happen here. These two can't continue on like this. It's just disrupting everybody else. And that was one finding but I also said, you know, it was another interesting finding because I, I usually do like some discovery work and ha- ask people questions and I'll observe some meetings and things like that. And I said, one of the other things is they really want you to come around and say good morning or hello, or, you know, just engage in a little bit of conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be major and nobody's asking you to take up to lunch, but they want to see you and they want you to acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. And he was very introverted. And in their setup, he could come in the back and go right to his office. So he didn't have to walk through the office. And I said, come in the front door instead in the mornings and just walk through and say, good morning, good morning, good morning. You don't have to say mm-hmm. anything else. Like, you know, it was kind of like baby stuff. Right. <laughs> like right. Start there. You don't have to say anything else. Just, you know, do that and then go on back. And in time, the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get with it and everything. And he said, he goes, I just don't understand why they want to see me. Like, why did they care? And I said, but they do. Mm. That's the thing. Don't, don't try to dig into the psyches. Right. They do want to see you and it will make a big difference. And you're, you're visible. You appear then approachable and yeah. in it with them, as opposed to just, he's back there and goes in and out that back door and we never see him. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So different things just, you know, make an impact on the culture, you know, kind of how, how things are done here. Like, oh, our boss just comes in the back and we never see him. Right. No, 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 no. We're all in this together. We're all on the same team trying to achieve our goals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's funny because, um, you know, uh, several years ago, I had a CEO on the podcast. She was in Australia. And it was funny because similar to what you're saying, she said, even though she would get to the office before the majority of the people got in, she said she knew nine o'clock her people would be coming in. So she made it a point to like stand at the door and just greet people as they came in like, oh, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, you know, how did the baseball game go last night? Oh, how was the anniversary? She said not that, you know, she was trying to pry, but just to let people know that they mattered. They matter. Yes. She cares. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and it's funny because, and especially if it's sincere, and I always say this to people, it's not the fact that you do that, but to be sincere. And and, and I know the listeners, they know, because I've given this um, example and told this story several times, but I had a second line supervisor and he would come through and he would say, hey, Trina, how are you doing? How are you two boys? And I don't have two boys. And I told him this several times, you know, and the first time, you know, you think, okay, you know, you you correct. I don't have two boys. But then he did that repeatedly. And then finally, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? He doesn't even care. So I'm going to stop correcting him. Let him say or think whatever he wants to say, but he doesn't care. But what that told me was he really wasn't sincere and genuine by asking me how I was doing. Because he can even get the fact that, you know, and I don't, I don't expect you to know my children's name, but I do expect for you to say, well, how's your son and daughter? Or even if you don't even have to go that far, he could have just said, how are your children? And I would have been fine with that. Instead of saying, how are your two boys? And I don't have two boys. Yeah. So it's things like that, that people start to see, you know, okay, I, that really don't care about this person. They're just making this up. How how do you help companies like see and address things like that? Yeah. Oh, that's hard because that's that <laughs> is a lack of self-awareness too of how it's how they're coming across. Yeah. As, that you know, to use your word, that he wasn't genuine. He yeah. was just kind of passing by. <laughs> yeah. Like, kind of probably marking it off the list, like <laughs> four people today or whatever. Um, because I know that some people are really uncomfortable with it. They're more introverted. And I will say I started out that way, but it's just like anything else. The more, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And you realize people are much more like you than you originally think, but to help leaders kind of understand, I, I always have like some conversation starters, but I, I ask them like, what do you do to build relationships or how do you get to know people? And it is, it could be in that case where he, he logged in Trina has two boys mm-hmm. and just had trouble getting it out. Like, yeah. and maybe he heard you say it. Maybe he didn't. He could just right. he could be thinking about, oh, beside Trina is Sheila and I've got to talk to her too. Right. So, so, but kind of talking to them about how they engage with people and what do they know about people? And if, if somebody had a problem, could they come, you know, work related or not? Could, could they come to you? Would they come to you? Do they come to you? And if they say, you know, I don't think anybody has come to me. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't people come to you? Because they're they're talking about whatever's going on and they could be just talking about it, you know, at the metaphorically, you know, water cooler or um, 
their colleagues, right? Or another leader. Mm-hmm. They're talking about it somewhere if, you know, when they have problems or issues at work. Right. Why would, why are they not coming to you? But it, it's that kind of drawing out through some self-awareness and some conversation and, and having them think about it. And one good thing um, that not a lot of people love, love to do this, but I do think journaling during, you know, at the end of the day or at, or at the beginning of the day, but sometime, you know, associated with your work day, you can kind of think about if you do it at the end of the day, you think about like, what did I do well today? you know, give yourself a pat on the back. And what do I have going on tomorrow that I need to think about? Maybe I have to have a hard conversation with so-and-so about their performance or um, year end reviews are coming up. Mm -hmm. And I've got a few difficult ones that I know they're expecting to get, you know, a higher raise and they're going to get an hour, you know, a meeting expectations raise Mm -hmm. or maybe below. Right. But those hard conversations, you can kind of think about it a little bit. And the more difficult conversations you have and they come out either kind of not great, <laughs> they'll get better over time. And then you can draw upon those experiences and get a few wins under your belt. And then you feel like, okay, now I can do this. <laughs> right. And getting better at it. But it, it's, I feel like the right word here is intentional, just to be intentional about what those conversations are going to bring and plan for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the hard thing is that if you are having, you know, I'm going to say, if I'm that second line leader that you were talking about, and I'm not having a genuine impact and no one ever tells me I'm going to keep behaving that way because it appears to be working. Right. Mm-hmm. But eventually, hopefully my leader knows it somehow or something happens where mm-hmm. I recognize it. I, one of the best well, the very best favorite leader I ever had um, in my old organization. He became my favorite leader of all time because he gave me a very specific scenario right after a meeting where there were several of us in the room together. And I was kind of new as a leader and, you know, really wanted to do a good job. And we were working on in a kind of a startup department was the company was a startup. It was a startup department. And there was just a lot going on, a lot of pressure and people working lots of hours and stuff. And, um, you know, I was probably a little more just kind of driven to get things done mm-hmm. where I should have been more collaborative, mm-hmm. slow down and ask questions of others before I just had my team go do our thing. And I just, I didn't know it. I didn't see it. But after a meeting, he had only been my boss for a very brief time. I had a different guy before and he moved on to another role and this guy came in and, you know, did take some time to build some relationships. And he, you know, it felt like he was very sincere and cared about all of us. I could, I could see that. But after this meeting, he said, I want to talk to you for a minute. So we went to his office and he said, I want to ask you, first of all, how you thought that went when we were talking about X. And I was like, I think it was fine. And he said, here's what you said. And here's what they heard. And here's how it felt. And this isn't the first time this has happened, but this time I had an opportunity to experience it myself. So that told me, Oh, people are talking about me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I'm getting a reputation for, you know, not collaborating Mm -hmm. and just doing my own thing. And you can't work that way in, in the corporate world today. Um, so when he really took the time to share it with me, you know, and I will say this, you know, it, it stung 
and oh yeah <laughs> it's done bad and it was like what yeah. uh, <laughs> me um but after I thought about it I was you know like he was right mm. and I thought oh man yeah that's not how I want to come across I want to do a better job than that I need to back up a little bit but I behaved that way because in my old world, I didn't work in the corporate setting. I worked out in the field and I could do my own thing. Right. And get so that had always worked for me. And that, so I was continuing to do that until something happened. Yeah. So just like the guy that we were talking about before, like until something happens to make that change. Yeah. I think it's okay. But, you know, and that's good. Like you say, he was one of your, your best, you know, bosses, leaders, because he did take that time. Now, right. you know, on the flip, he could have been one of these bosses that would have just said, you know, write you, you know, on your, your review. Oh, you know, you just you don't collaborate with people or, you know, you have, you know, a bad attitude. And it's not that people have a bad attitude. You know, like you said, you have come from a world where you were used to working by yourself and not in a team environment. So and I think it's very important. And, and I'm going to ask you how you going. What exactly are you um asking these companies when you go in. But I think a lot of times companies hire people for a position, you know, what's on paper, Mm -hmm. but then they get them. And instead of looking and seeing what their strengths are and things like that, they, you know, they'll say, Oh, this person is bad fit or bad for this job. Well, it may just be that they're misplaced. Yeah. They may have had the credentials to fulfill the paper requirements. But if you get there and you see that they're good at doing something else or they're better put over here where you can get more out of them and they can be fulfilled, wouldn't that be a great thing to do? Yeah. Yes. I could not agree more, but then I do think you're right. Like they weren't maybe the best fit for that role, but they get labeled as a low performer or a bad attitude or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I have to spend so much time working with so-and-so and And you already have them on board. Things were looking good at the beginning, which which is why you selected them and maybe um, put them in a position, another position where they can perform really well. And it's a win for both. Right. There was a a leader that I was friends with that um, had a, (laughs) a person on his team and he, he told me, she's a member of the mom club. And I said, what's that? And he said, memo of the month. Like he was always just documenting her performance. And, you know, I, I said, if she's getting that many documents for like not performing, why wouldn't you just let her go? And he said, she's, she tries, she's got a great attitude, you know? So there was definitely that willingness. Mm -hmm. They're just, you know, there were just things she couldn't do. And, but I mean, he kept working with her and he, you know, he didn't like gloss over anything and say, oh, you're fine. You know, he's like, we need to do this this way. Or, you know, maybe why don't I have you shadow so-and-so and maybe you can watch how they do it, you know? So he really did work with her, but like over all those months, you know, he did have to dedicate a lot of time to her, yeah. but after, you know, and she kind of turned it around and became a, you know, a solid performer. She was never going to be the, you know, the, the number one, mm-hmm. but she became a good solid performer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, we love those people. Right? Right. And she was so thankful to him for not giving up on her. 
Oh. You know, so then she really wanted to do a great job for him. Yeah. And when he told me this story, this had already happened by the time he and I had worked together. But when he told me that story, it kind of logged in my mind because I thought I need to keep that in mind for people, you know, right. give, help them be successful. Yeah. It's, it's not going to work every single time, but you know, it can work in a lot of situations. And, and you know, and that's the magic word, help people be successful, yeah. not just say it or not just label people, but help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people get lost. So when you're consulting with companies, and I, I'm just curious, um, when you take your poll of the employees, what are you finding that they say? Because I'm pretty sure there's some commonalities across the board. What are you finding that they're saying that they need to make their work life better? They need more um kind of, I'm going to call it relationship, if you will. Mm -hmm. So not just somebody who talks to them once a year for the review or just in a team meeting or, you know, with the whole group, but like somebody who cares about what their situation is and what their work aspirations are, Mm -hmm. what's going on with them, even outside of work, not so that they can fix it, but just so that you care. And in some cases do nothing more than empathize. Mm. you know, and think about in these last um, almost two years now with all the issues going on and people having to um, have kids do remote schooling while they do their jobs, while they might have somebody who's sick or unemployed or whatever, you know, just the stress of it all. I mean, we Mm -hmm. were stressed before the pandemic began. Yeah. And then add that on. Right. Huge. Unprecedented, ambiguous thing yeah. that we don't know when it's going to end, and so people are trying to maneuver through all of that. Well, again, while they were stressed before, um, and I think you know there was so much during that or those early pandemic months where so this was before the summer of of the social justice issues. So I think before that, right, there was so much going on there that like from a technical, like we've got to get people set up so they can work from home. We've got to do this. We've got to figure out another way to serve people at our restaurant or groceries or, you know, everybody's pivoting, right? That became mm-hmm. the word. Pivot, pivot, pivot. The ones who addressed the emotional needs did well. Mm-hmm. And the ones who didn't, I think that's what kind of started this great resignation. It's mm-hmm. like people saw how they were being treated and it was like, why am I doing this? Right. You know, why am I jeopardizing getting sick or why am I doing this for, you know, $10 an hour, $12, whatever, whatever it is, depending on what part of the country or world, I guess mm-hmm. you're in, but, um, how they were treated. So if somebody was empathizing and saying, you know, think about like in the, in the office settings, maybe per, people can't log on mm-hmm. and work from home now until eight 30 because of children issues where before maybe they couldn't arrive at the office at eight or eight 30, whatever. It was their flexibility. Did you right. even know what their right. issues were? And people want to know that you care about them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what I hear from the non-leader level, right? From the leader level, you know, they're oftentimes like, why can't people just come to work yeah. and do their jobs? People are more complicated than that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you can, you can wish that all you want. <laughs> 
it's not going to magically happen. Everybody's just going to come in, do their work, do it well, get along, never ask a question, (laughs) never want to do a different job. Um, It's just, that's not realistic. So getting to know people and knowing what their aspirations are, what their issues are, and then helping them achieve their dreams. And there's an old Zig Ziglar quote. I just, I always love this. If you help enough other people get what they want, they will help you get what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, but it starts with you serving them. Right. Um, what do you need? How can I help? What do you have going on? Mm. Basic questions, right? Yep. Just having one-on-one meetings with your people. And those are three super easy questions to start with. And how, how can I help you? Yeah. What do you and, need? For- yeah. And, uh, and you don't hear that. So when you're talking to the leaders and you are telling them this, do they get it? Do they get it or are they just, you know, kind of like, well, you know, people are supposed to come here and do their job. How are they responding to what you're telling them you're finding out? Yeah, some do. And I will. And here's why. There are a lot of wonderful case studies around this kind of work where you can talk about pre-intervention measures or metrics. And as a result of doing some of these things, which include building relationships, removing obstacles for people, find helping them find opportunities that they are interested in and not just this job forever. When you do those things, you start creating a higher engaged workforce. And when your workforce is more engaged, your outcomes are better every time, every time. No, no doubt about it. If you compare just like within the same industry, different companies that have low employee engagement scores to high engagement scores. This one is always outperforming. outperforming. So they do many times they, they get it. I think though, that that part about building the relationships makes some people feel uncomfortable. And it's like, I don't want to be, you know, I'm going to be Brene Brown's uh, (laughs) biggest fan right now, but they don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah. They don't want to ask the, you know, the questions and then listen to the right. answers. Listen to know that somebody has a boy and a girl. <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> you know, they it's it's one more thing to do. I've got all this work to do. You know, there's always kind of a rationale that you mm-hmm. you can fall back on, you know, and you can say, I've got these other 10 things to do. I just don't have time for that. Yeah, you you yeah. have to you have to do it. And um I, I want to ask you this quick question. I know I don't know if this is a buzzword, but I've been hearing it a lot lately is the conscious leader. Mm-hmm. T- tell the listeners what that is and, and how that plays into everything you do. Yeah. So, and I love that, that um, term, because I think it's, it's tapping into the reality of what's, what's going on, like mm-hmm. what's really happening here, because again, sometimes it's uncomfortable. And so like, we don't, we're going to look away. You know, mm-hmm. like I know those two employees sitting beside each other, barking at each other and don't like each other, but it's going to look away, yeah. but really tapping in. And in that kind of a scenario, like what's going on, you guys, you know, let's just, let's talk about this and maybe mm-hmm. you can mend it or figure out another solution. But, and, you know, if you ignore the realities that are going on, it's going to keep happening and things will never get better and your results will never get better. And none of you will grow. Mm-hmm. You'll all be kind of stagnant down here, just 
that definition of insanity, always doing what we've always done. And we're always getting what we always got. So, you know, let's, you know, get vulnerable, lead consciously, ask some hard questions, dedicate the time to the people who are doing the work that you're leading and responsible for. I think that people, leaders forget that too. Like you're responsible for this group of people. Yeah. You, yeah. You can't just wish it's going to be okay and look away and hope for the best. Like that, that's, those are your, those are your team members. And um, I'm not sure. Have you ever heard of the company named Barry Way Miller? No. Um, it's a global organization. They, I know they do some like manufacturing, but I also think they do some consulting work. Um, but their their leader, who actually just recently retired, his name was Bob Chapman. He wrote a book called Everybody Matters, mm. and it's one. It's probably one of my top three favorite books, and I love it so much because he talks about. I feel like he's you know he's very genuine, but he talks about his leadership journey and how when he first started out as president of the company, he was numbers, 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 expenses, revenue, expenses, revenue. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he came up as an accountant. So he did what he knew, but over time and life experiences, things changed him. So he was growing, right? Personally and professionally. Then he came to that, you know, consciousness. He was at a wedding and he was sitting in, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, Trina. I love the story. He was sitting in the the church pew. The father walked the bride down the aisle. The minister said, who gives this precious child to this man? And the the dad said, her mother and I, Mm -hmm. and he's sitting there, Bob Chapman listening and realizes like, like a light bulb went on. Every person is someone's precious child. Every Mm. And I have, he's thinking to him, I'm I'm not going to get the number right. So don't, don't quote me listeners, (laughs) (laughs) but he's thinking I have 60,000 people's precious children in my care, in my stead. And I need to lead differently. Mm. Did And it's just, it's a wonderful story. Like if a company operated under this same thought process, we would have, we could probably reverse the 30% of engaged and get 70% engaged and only 30% disengaged. Yes. Because they really, really dedicate and measure employees happiness and how they can help employees be happy outside the home. And so one of their metrics is they measure over time, their, their divorce rate. Hmm. Yeah. Fewer people were getting divorced. And one of the things he said is if people are fulfilled at work, they go home to whoever they're going home to, even if it's themselves, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they go home a happier person and they treat everybody they encounter, whether it's the person that waited on them at the grocery store a restaurant, the convenience store, they're happier and fulfilled. And that's what comes out when they engage with other people. So less road rage, less being at home, less children who are seeing parents like squabbling or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they feel fulfilled. And he, he talks about all the different ways in which they get data points and, um, success stories. And I just, I love it. And honestly, I'm like, if everybody could just do this. (laughs) What's his name again? His name is Bob Chapman and the book is called everybody matters. Wow. I've got to get that. 
It's amazing. And you know, if you Google him, um, there's some wonderful video of him, but also great interview with him and Simon Sinek. Oh, okay. That's really, really good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Favorites. That's, you know, that was a profound moment. Like you said, you know, oh, I have all these people's precious children under my care. And how can I help them, you know, be happy? And it's, you know, that when you look at things from that perspective, it really changes your viewpoint, right? Everybody's not just a number. It's not just about making the widgets. It's something more than that. Right. Um, It's not just about the shareholder value or the second or third home. Right. Right. Those, those things are, could be important. You know, I'm not going to take any of that away from anybody who's worked really hard to become a CEO or a C-suite person. But if, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll always get what you want. So you can have both have happy employees and your company can do really well. And And then you do really well. Yeah. And then it's amazing that you said they started looking at outside of work, things that, you know, so that people could thrive and be happy outside of work. You don't find people that even care about employees outside of work. Right. Right. Wow. And there's, there can be just really simple, unique things that can make just a huge difference in the Mm -hmm. whole, in the whole place. So it, but it does take work and it's different work. It's not measuring expenses, right? It's looking the other way, Mm -hmm. kind of leaning into some of those harder conversations and saying, you know, what do we need to do here? What could make this better? And I, I think to kind of going back to, you know, I was mentioning early pandemic. And then when we had um, last summer, when we had a lot of the social justice movements, you started hearing about companies because again, stress before the pandemic, then this thing hits. And now it's like, what the heck? Right. And when's it going to end? And I hope my loved ones don't get sick. Okay. Right. So there's all this ambiguity and angst. And then this happens. And so there's sort of a, you know, a rising up of people saying, now what's going on now? Like this can't be. So a lot of companies, and you you maybe heard this in, in news and publications, um, started giving people like days off of like, some called it um, rest or relaxation. Mm-hmm. Like there was a third R, a reflection. Mm. Rest, relaxation, or reflection. We kept, I kept kind of hearing that. Yeah. But there was just so much and people tired and burnt out and sad. And, you know, it's like, we need to take a step back. And we need to get get better. So I, I loved some of those stories. And that's the kind of stuff that like I love to read. Lots of people like reading novels. <laughs> like <laughs> I love to read those kind of stories. Like, what did they do? Right. Yeah. Right. You've got to do something. And there were so many companies that did really good things to either help it during the pandemic or helped after social justice movements made changes in their organization, but really started kind of tapping into the, you know, the hearts of their people yeah. and trying to make things different so that they're better. Wow. Yeah. And I do, I'm like you, I like hearing those stories too, because the, the companies that actually have made changes 
are the ones that you feel, okay, they do have a pulse. They do um, understand, they're paying attention, they're listening. Because you have so many who didn't, and they just thought, okay, we're going to go back to business as usual. Or they said, oh, yeah, we hear, we see, but they did nothing. Right. Right. And, you know, um, early pandemic, too, I started kind of gathering a lot of like little stories of how, you know, companies pivoted or whatever. And they're in my community, there's a local brewery that, you know, everything was kind of shut down for a while. So they started making hand sanitizer and um, donating it. Mm. And a, a beauty shop, a large beauty shop chain here in town, they started um, like compiling all of their what could be used as PPE, mm-hmm. but that's not what they called it before, <laughs> and, and donating it. Uh-huh. And um, there was a local, like a, a husband and wife, and she worked, she was like a scientist at Vital. And he was an engineer. I forget what company he worked for, but they were sitting around one night at dinner, kind of talking about this whole, you know, N95 masks and there's a shortage. And what do we do? What do we do? And they, their employers came together because those two said, here's how we could wash the N95 masks. So remember when there was a shortage and they were hard to get the N95s um, because before they were kind of disposable. So they developed a way to wash them. Mm. And so people companies could bring the N95s and go through like big machine. I'm going to call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I saw it, you know, locally, it was a big story because it happened here in my town. So um, the face masks were going through and they were, you know, helping with that shortage, but, you know, some companies were like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And didn't go, Oh, how's that going to impact our bottom line? It was just like, we got to all work together to get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. And then some CEOs, who had retail or chain restaurants and, you know, had to shut down. So their people weren't making tips or even, you know, if they were part-time, they didn't have benefits. And I'm sure even if they did, they'd have run out of vacation. Right. They didn't take a salary yeah, so that they could take that money and redistribute it to keep people paid. Yeah. Like that's, that's amazing. Yeah. You know? and, and that feels like we're in it together, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not like, oh, sorry about your luck. I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm getting my check, you know. (laughs) Right. Because you know, there there are companies and people like that. They're like, oh, okay, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, Dana. I see, like I said, I like this kind of stuff. So you and I could talk forever about this. (laughs) We do. So we got to get started on our questions. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Mm. Um, so I'm going to call it good work motivates me. So I, I really enjoy my work. And when I have like a big project that I get super excited about, I am highly motivated, <laughs> to, you know, just create the right type of outcomes and interventions. And sometimes it's training programs and I do quite a bit of facilitating too, um, but kind of uncovering the issues mm-hmm. and then find the right way to tell that story because you don't want to call anybody's baby ugly and you don't want to say, you know, all the things you guys are doing are wrong because it's never that. Sometimes right. it's one or two things that can really make a significant shift. So anyway, I get very, very excited on those kinds of things. Yeah. What demotivates you? Mm. Um, I guess negative Nellies, 
like we can't do that that's not going to work mm-hmm. that kind of thing you know they i feel like they drain my energy and <laughs> i have to figure out okay what can we do you know how do how do you keep that coming back without yeah. losing some momentum or um disengaging someone unintentionally mm. when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you but it worked for your good Mm. (laughs) okay (laughs) I'm gonna share a time that I was receiving some feedback Mm -hmm. and what was what was said to me so I had applied for a position and I was not selected and about I don't know six or eight months prior I had applied for a position and was not selected So the second time, then the person who was my boss at the time, he had like printed off the the feedback from the interview team about why I wasn't selected. And when I came in and sat down across the desk from him, he just put it on the desk and and just pushed the piece of paper across his desk and said, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. And that just, oh, it hurt. It really hurt, but why it made me better was I know that he didn't intend to hurt my feelings. He thought he was being funny. He didn't know how to give me the feedback. So I just, you know, at at the time, as I was sitting there, I was fuming. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. just like, what did you say? (laughs) But (laughs) I just listened and, you know, took the paper with me and the next day I did go back in and talk to him. And I said, um, I just, I want to share this with you. And I said, this is my perspective for what it's worth. And I said, as a woman, you know, for you to say to me, always a bridesmaid, never a bride probably hits me very differently than how you intended for it to as a, as a man. And it doesn't feel good. And I don't think that's the way you should ever give anybody feedback. Mm. And while I was saying it, like I could even see his chin starting to quiver a little bit. Like he was horrified that he, that that had happened. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean to really hurt my feelings. And I, I think it was also uncomfortable for him to hear me saying what I was saying, but he did listen and he apologized. So I felt like, you know, that was like, it was hard feedback. I had to examine myself, but I also took summoned up the courage right. <laughs> to say to him what I did and, and the whole exchange went well. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like the, you know, you build on success, you know, I think it was probably um, something that helped our relationship a little bit. You know, we weren't, we weren't like the best match anyway with our communication mm-hmm. styles and our work approaches, but you know, you, you make it work because right. you have to, you don't get to pick who your boss is. And in that case, he didn't get to pick me as an employee either. Mm-hmm. So you just, you make it work. But, you know, I think that helped a little bit, just kind of getting over that hard thing and saying, we're good now. Mm. Wow. Yeah. that That's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your fear? Um, if I'm honest, being irrelevant. Mm. Yeah. I always, I love to work. And I love to learn. So if I ever got to a point where I couldn't add some value somewhere, like that would just be horrifying. Mm. I kind of, I feel like for me, that will never be a problem because at a minimum, you know, like when I'm 80, 
and I'm not done working, I can still go to Walmart and work. Yeah. You know, I'll find so yeah. I'll find some way somewhere to contribute because I just think that's who I am. I can't yeah. imagine not working. Yeah, I'm like that too. Mm-hmm. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Mm. Probably, yeah. I'm trying to think. And I would say, you know, maybe in some of my experiences with people where I could have been more honest about their performance, mm-hmm. you know, and probably kind of worked around it a little bit and shared some of the information that could have been more pointed, I think, and helped them kind of, kind of get to the, I was going to say scoot, but like get to the finish line a little right. easier than, <laughs> than what they did. Yeah. That's a hard one, Trina. Gosh, that one made me sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, well, get ready for this one. <laughs> okay. Um, is there a time that you wish you had not done something? Mm. Um. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, when, especially more so when I was like newer in leadership and I would be talking about things I shouldn't have been talking about. Mm-hmm. I kind of okay. didn't, didn't know it yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of success? Mm. Um, a happy contributor. Okay. It's not necessarily about, you know, accolades or money. Um, I, I spent some, some time being so unhappy in my work that the times where I was really happy, you know, I just noticed, I feel more of who I am and I, that's what I want, but I also want to be a contributor. (laughs) I want to, you know, help in whichever way I'm going to do it. So whether it's through facilitation or through discovery work or, you know, helping people in the cashier line at Walmart one day, Mm -hmm. I just want to contribute. Mm. How do you recharge? Mm. Massive introvert. So I spend, um, I spend a lot of time like alone Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's how I recharge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make me sad at all. That's how I recharge. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you're, you're the second person I had like that, but I too am a massive introvert. And it's funny because you're, you know, you're this consultant coach. I'm a speaker coach and yeah, I'm an introvert. I love being by myself and I'm like you, I I don't feel alone. That's where I draw my strength from. So it's it's funny how that happens. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) But you bring it out when you need it. Right. Exactly. When I need it, you know, store it out like a bear for midwinter, you know, (laughs) then I could go back out. That's it. Yes. Uh, what are you awesome at? Mm, really awesome. Um, I think probably like the discovery conversations, I feel like I'm pretty intuitive. And when I first have an engagement with an organization or a leader, and I, you know, I ask them what, what was happening or what did you see, or what are you experiencing that you can tell me? why you reached out to me. 
And it's usually like, well, we're seeing this or hearing that, you know, it's, it's usually not metrics, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I do ask for metrics, but it's usually not that. So anyway, if I can get some of that information and then ask to like attend a few meetings or talk to a couple of teams or a couple of other leaders and just start gathering things, you can start inferring. And especially in the days when we could go into the offices. Mm-hmm. and look around, you know, you can really kind of pick up on things. Yeah. You know, you, you have to tune into it and pay attention, but, you know, I think that's probably what I would say I'm most awesome. At. What legacy do you want to leave? A legacy of somebody who cared enough to help people in their workplace, mm. just be successful, you know, to help them be successful. So I think about all of those people that wake up in the morning and hate their jobs. I really do. I think about it a lot. I don't want anybody to feel that way. I felt that way and I saw how it impacted me and made me sad. And I just, I want better for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dana, tell the listeners how they can connect with you, what you have going on. If they need to have you come into their business, give us the whole nine. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, so VogelmeyerConsulting.com. So Vogelmeyer, think of it, cut it right in half. Vogel, V-O-G-E-L, Meyer, M-E-I-E-R. So VogelmeyerConsulting.com. Um, you can reach me through my website and, or you can find me on LinkedIn and message me there too. And um, I just released, I haven't even done the marketing yet. So I just got my first book published and it's on Amazon and it's called The Workplace Atmosphere, Trans- Transforming the Dismal to the Desired. So it's really about how to take that workplace that's not good and things that you need to think about and look at and examine so that you can make some changes and make it a place where people desire to work. Wow. I love that title. Transforming the Dismal to the Desired. <laughs> and I call it the atmosphere because I do feel like when you walk in, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you can. You yeah. can. So is it rainy or is right. it sunshine? <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. I wish I had known we you had a book coming out because we would have touched on that as well. But, oh, oh, my goodness. We may have to have you back once it hits. Okay. Hits okay. and we'll, I'll, let <laughs> so, me know when it hits and then I'll bring you back because I definitely want to talk about the book. That is just so good. But Dana, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on Trina Talk. I enjoyed this conversation immensely. Oh, me too, Trina. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I want to thank my guests for being on the show and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget to tune in next week.